So welcome back. This is episode three of what it means to be an instructional designer. I'm Eamon Powers, and apparently we now have intro music. Well, at least like eight seconds worth, which is about as much as the guitar I can play, I guess. Uh, anyway, in today's episode, I want to thank everyone, first of all, for tuning in to the first two uh, episodes. It's been really crazy to see uh, just how many of you have been able to respond and uh, engage with the material. So I appreciate all the feedback and uh, that's been really great. And I'm hoping we can continue on this track. Um, I want to apologize for not having this out sooner, but last week here in Texas, uh, where I'm based out of, um, man, the weather was just really not conducive to using the internet, power, heat, or even water in my home. So took a, a minute to get this all finished up, but um, here it is nonetheless. So in today's episode, what you're going to hear, uh, as opposed to the first two where it was pretty much just me talking, you're going to hear from some beautiful people uh, that were kind enough to help me out a few months ago when we were on this journey. And the first uh, step that they took was a focus, uh, a focus group that uh, uh, they participated in. And uh, after re-listening re -listening to the focus group information, uh, I realized I did a terrible job at being host and I did not actually have them introduce themselves. Uh, so what, I, what you're going to hear uh, right now is me more or less going through who you're going to hear from. Uh, and I really wish they would have, uh, I, I really wish I would have spent more time having them introduce themselves, but hopefully you can make out who is who. Um, so first, uh, first off, I'm actually going to go with uh, Jeremy McLaughlin. He is a uh, teacher in physics and astronomy at Sullivan Central High School in uh, Abingdon, Virginia. Um, uh, he, he and I uh, go to uh, Old Dominion University together. We've been in a number of classes together and uh, generally just uh, have always clicked on, uh, on kind of the way that we see instructional design and uh, the real kind of social benefits we see in, um, in how, it, you know, how it could possibly be and, and why we think instructional design is an important uh, field, right? Uh, the next person you'll hear on the uh, focus group is Heidi Kirby, uh, and she's a self-proclaimed, and rightfully so, learning and development leader, uh, as well as a PhD candidate, congratulations, um, at, at Old Dominion as well. Uh, she, me and her have gone to several classes together, and uh, it crushes my soul every time to realize that she beat me in an instructional design chopped competition uh, every time. Every time I'm upset, I'm upset about it. But uh, uh, ultimately, she is the host of the Block Podcast uh, for L&D Professionals. Uh, she's fantastic. You should definitely give that far more professional-sounding podcast to listen to if you haven't been doing so already. Uh, she's currently the manager of learning solutions at DataTrack International uh, in up in Cleveland, and she generally kicks ass. The same could be said for Kara North, who is a absolute powerhouse when it comes to all things instructional design, uh, learning development. She's a speaker and a recent uh, researcher. Uh, she's got maybe the best uh, LinkedIn feed uh, imaginable uh, in the L&D space. Uh, and uh, she spends her daytime, because I'm sure she's working 27 hours a day on uh, making instructional design a, a household name. She spends her day, uh, her day job as the operations training manager at Silfix Incorporated. Um, where she's rocking socks clean off, obviously. And then the last person, last but not least, our Canadian friend to the north, who I'm sure I'm going to make one or two Canadian jokes about. I apologize for that ahead of time, any of my Canadian listeners, is Clark Dale. 
Uh, Clark Dale works with me at uh, Flight Safety International. Uh, he's a product lead uh, you know, on the distance-based learning side at Flight Safety. So essentially is the owner of uh, the processes and the roadmaps for everything uh, e-learning and distance-based learning, anything you know, hybrid classrooms, a um, lot of really interesting stuff. He's got a, uh, an, a tremendous uh, background and he's just like a nice guy, right? Uh, he's, uh, he's super... He's super good, right? So ultimately, um, I'm really happy to have these people. I cannot believe they agreed to be on this show. Uh, and I hope that it sounds as good as it felt while we were doing it. So without further ado, uh, here's a focus group uh, for what it means to be an instructional designer, episode three. Okay, so um, with that being said, um, I'm going to ask the big question. And uh, and I'm just gonna randomly pick Heidi to start if that's okay. And then yeah. you can just run whoever wants to go next or jut in or, or whatever. I don't really have rules and I don't know what I'm doing. So let's just do it. <laughs> so Heidi to you, what does it mean to be an instructional designer? Yeah, so I was thinking about this in my very short commute to pick up my kid today. Um, and I wanted to pick just like a really broad, short definition. And so what I decided was, to me, being an instructional designer is the person who creates and manages learning experiences. And I want to keep it that broad because then that can encompass, you know, your instructional designers that do instructor-led, e-learning, video editing, audio editing, um, facilitating their own stuff, building entire curriculum, um, you know, writing instruction for textbooks. I'm keeping it super broad on purpose. And then um, the manage part is also broad on purpose because then that can mean it includes, um, you know, kind of the implementation, but also the uh, assessment and evaluation and the updating and the logistical upkeep. So yeah, that's my super broad answer. I like that. What does anyone think about that? I mean, what do you, what do you think? Maybe I'll go with it this way. Clark, what do you think? And what does uh, it mean to you to be an instructional designer? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, spot on with all that. Uh, I don't know why, I always default to a different example. Um, my wife's a teacher and uh, you know, as a teacher, you're, you're a parent, so you're a mom, you're a nurse, you're, you're a confidant, you're all these different things. And maybe this is more telling to my experience as an instructional designer, but I feel it's the same sort of thing as an ID on working on a project, you're a parent, you're a nurse for feelings and emotions, or maybe, you know, psychiatrist. Um, yeah, so you feel like on top of you trying to apply and interpret subject matter, uh, you're just trying to run every part of it. You're, you're the connection between the relationships between any uh, SMEs or developers or any other people working on the project. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a big rule. I think role, I think people undervalue. Um, how much work goes into not just the, the education side, but just the administration and the, just keeping the project together. If I could piggyback off of Clark's um, explanation, I think that the coolest thing about being an instructional designer, the hardest part of also being an instructional designer, is that you are really given 
kind of this backstage pass or access to the kingdom, if you will, to kind of see what the business needs and know what their constraints are, know what that is. But then you're also trying to relate that to people that are several levels away from it, maybe only have a small role in the org. So you're supporting them to kind of go up to support the broader goals of the business. So it is a very precarious profession. There's a lot of muddling going along. I'm sure we'll probably want to talk about that as well. But it is something I think that is um, definitely difficult because you're you're you feel like a stretch Armstrong, like you're getting pulled on both sides because you're fighting for those users, right? That you know don't have a seat at the table, but then the business or the organization is the one that's paying you to do the work. So it's kind of like you're in this weird catch twenty two as you're going through, kind of figuring out what you need to do. That's really interesting. So I'll be I'll be contrarian then and kind of mostly agree with like what Heidi had to say uh, right now like my computer is about to take off as I'm trying to like export a video in Premiere Pro um, I'm not sure that like as an instructional designer um, we need to be content creators I think we can be sometimes um, but I, I think it's somebody who um, maybe isn't like the captain of the ship, but it's sort of like the executive officer. Like I was never in the Navy. I'm, I'm, I'm too overweight and I don't really like swimming, but um, like somebody who just sort of like make sure that the stuff gets done, right? There's a plan in place. You're part of the planning process. You aren't necessarily in charge, but you're making sure that everything comes together. And if that means, you know, making a video cool if it means you know making content um but i don't know i i i like heidi's definition because it, because it is so broad um but i don't know i i i'm not sure if that would cause trouble or not because then it kind of goes to is it kara cara it's kara please kara yeah yeah okay sorry uh kara like like what you were saying where it's um you know, where we get pulled in like every direction and it's like, you know, uh, I, I don't know. I, I think because we're so good at so many different things, because we are, you know, the, the Swiss army knife, you have all of these tools and that's sort of something that describes an instructional designer, but I don't know if that's our job and I'm, I, I don't know, but we can do all of those things. Right. I would like to circle back on something that you said because it just reminded me, actually Bib Fortuna here was the one that reminded me of this. So um, I'm actually, my end goal is if I don't have my own consulting business, I do want to be a chief learning officer. And I do think that, you know, now they're getting kind of more respect out there being a CLO. So I have sought mentorship from a current CLO. And he said something that really stuck with me. And I think it's really valid for this conversation. He said, look at just business, look at Fortune 50, look at the Fortune 500, and look at in the last five years who the chief um, operating officers or CEOs are, right? Have you ever seen one that's a CLO? Have you ever seen a CLO be promoted into a CEO position? I was like, no. And he said, well, doesn't that speak to you about how they value us? And I thought that was really powerful. 
That isn't yeah. That's wild. And I hadn't thought about that. Well, if you if you don't mind, let's um let's stick with that kind of thought process, but get it down to um like almost like what not not necessarily what you did today, because maybe today is not representative of what you do every day. But if you were going to take um like an average week, right? Um, and Kara, I'll start with you because uh, I started with Heidi last time, and it's go on mine. It's like I'm going around the circle, and now I'm just going to go the other way back. <laughs> so, um, you know, like, what are you doing? Like, and I mean, really doing, like, on a daily basis. Putting out fires on a day to day basis. <laughs> I mean, I, every day is an adventure. I learned very early in my career that no matter how well you plan and you schedule your time on your calendar, there's going to be mayhem that hits every single week almost to kind of put it, put it at edge. So um, I'm in a unique position. So not only am I a lead of the entire training function for my organization, but because I'm building my team, I am also an instructional, I'm actually building the stuff and managing all the projects. So I've had two jobs for six months and let me tell you, it's getting very exhausting. So um, I would say one would be uh, having those tough conversations with the stakeholders, them asking, well, why don't you have a video for me today? Okay, it's me and one person. Like, what do you want me to do? Like, I'm running rampant here. So really focusing on kind of tempering expectations. Um, I, big one's email. I would love to just shut it off. Teams messages, all that stuff, right? Um, a lot are meetings, too many meetings on a week, weekly basis, right? And then I feel like a very small sector of what I do is actually building stuff. And for me, building is my happy place. I like having everything scoped out and then I just go into do not disturb and I silence my cell phone or whatever. And I'm like, give me four hours in Camtasia. Give me four hours in articulate storyline. I'll even close caption by hand in Camtasia just to be in my element. So that is my happy place. And that has been kind of my biggest, I think, fear going into leadership because I don't want to lose that because I love it so much. And I think that's why I'll probably always continue to consult on the side so I can keep my ID skills sharp. But um, it, it really is a challenge, again, trying to lead the training function as well as be a producer in the training function too. And I mean, I'll be honest, I have not done it well. Um, there's been a lot of spinning plates that have fallen and I'm just like, Oops, and I'm very hard on myself, and so I, I, my, it's taken a toll on my mental health for sure. But I've had to cut stuff in my other like life. So you know, I do like to mentor new people to this profession. I've cut off any new meetings with people until 2021 period, except for this, because I mean, this was you know. But I, I've learned to set boundaries, <laughs> and it's been really hard because all these people are like, "Well, I need you. I need your help." People tell me you're great. I'm like. I can't, I'm sorry. Like, I just can't do, you know, I have to protect myself. So I've learned a lot of hard lessons, I think, this year. But um, again, would I be anything else or do I ever want to do any other thing? No, I don't. I love it. I, as crazy as it is, I do love it. So. No, that's, thank you for sharing. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, hey, Jeremy, um, same question, right? Uh, like, what are you doing every day? right now 
So waking up early, looking at memes for <laughs> a few hours. Um, uh, I, I can't do what Kara just said because I don't have boundaries. Um, if I have to do it because like I'm, I'm vested in, you know, uh, being, being the helpful guy. Um, but like, like that's part of my, my identity. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's just sort of fixing any of the problems that come up, like going back to what our definition of what an instructional designer is, it's, Hey, I've got this, you know, random tech problem. I've got, you know, uh, I need help planning this thing or, or scoping this thing out. Like it's being anywhere and doing anything for everybody all the time. Um, that's sort of what the day looks like. You know, today I was shooting video and, you know, waiting for Adobe to, to export it. You know, tomorrow it's working on a website. It's, it's a little bit of everything. No, that's the thing. Yeah, that's cool. Thank you. Over to Clark. I'm going to, I'll take this in two stages. Um, I think when I first became an ID, it, at least maybe I was fortunate enough that uh, the days really were just in the weeds of a particular project. So especially when you're first hired at a company, right? You're, you're learning a lot about their processes, their people, you're building those relationships. Um, if you have a music background and you get hired in the aviation field, you're learning a lot about the field and, you know, the content domain. Oh, I'm like the guy on the news station. Sorry, my, one of my kids just ran in. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so thankfully, I mean, that, that was a really enjoyable part uh, of being the ID uh, early on in the stage, and you really just got the focus on, on a particular project. But the longer you're there, the more you start showing your value, the more, like, the day turns into what uh, Karen and Jeremy are describing you. Just get pulled into every project uh, that, that, you know, that you can't really fit into your schedule, but you were were uh, excited to take on more and help so you don't say no and so I, I don't know what you guys I'm reading lots of books and articles on just how to say no um, uh, yeah and uh, helping out other departments certainly because I mean it, for me anyway I find ideas a lot about storytelling right it's sometimes taking content that's not so engaging and trying to uh, change the the message in a way so that it's story you know you are getting to storytelling you're trying to make that content interesting so with that you certainly uh, develop a good relationship with the marketing department oh, just as an example but but uh, yeah pretty much the way Kara and Jeremy described it just the longer you're in there the more uh, ingrained you are with the, the company and the content just the more overwhelmed you become but again Kara yeah it's you love it it's it's uh, hard to stop. Yeah, I, especially now that we're all working at home. I always thought working from home would be, I, I, I'd get 10 new hobbies. I just ended up working more hours because I'm enjoying the work. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Clark. Heidi, what are you doing? Well, with I want to, I want to know first, because I'm now like wearing my research hat. Like, is it a thing? of instructional designers that we can't say no? Or is it the fact that we're all here in this focus group at 8 p.m. on a Thursday that we can't say no? Like, which is it? 
that crossed my mind. Uh, yeah, I, I was also beginning to wonder that. I was like, oh, no, I should have lazy people. But then they wouldn't have come. So then I'm like. Right, exactly. I'm like, out. okay, so maybe it's that we are here, and that's why we can't say no. Um, but that's okay. Um, I, I agree. No. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with Clark that um, the first couple. So let me step out a second by saying that in three and a half years, I've had um, four different instructional design jobs. So I'm a chronic job hopper even before instructional design. And like the first couple jobs were a lot like Clark said, like in PowerPoint every day or Storyline or Captivate or um, Beyond we used a lot and just like doing the down and dirty design work. Um, but right now I am like, so I got laid off in April and um, I got picked up. Um, it's 40 hours a week, but I'm technically 1099 because um, it's a tech startup and what they're doing is they're building a mobile LMS app um, and the guy who started it is a web developer a coder and once he started developing this app he realized he didn't know anything about learning and development and that he couldn't build an LMS without somebody who knew about learning and development so um, he put out an ad for an instructional design manager um, so what I do is I manage the function of instructional design. I don't manage any people yet. Hopefully the idea is that once we have this app built, then I can hire a team and, and we can go crazy. But, um, my days are super weird. Like they're all over the place. Part of what I do for work is I host a podcast, a learning podcast, and I like spend a lot of time on LinkedIn, just like networking with people. Um, and just doing work like that because, you know, the CEO's kind of thought is if my personal brand is up there, once this app launches, then the reputation of the app will be up there as well. Um, so I spend a lot of time working on just like my personal professional branding, right? Um, the other piece is I spend a lot of time informing this app and telling this group of three developers who are just like, like straight off of like Silicon Valley, like as stereotypical as you would imagine them to be, like that they're wrong and that they need to consider like the end user. <laughs> so that's like a big part of what I do too, is like, hey, no, you can't just like put this app out this way. You have to think about X, Y, and Z and managers are gonna wanna see this and the user is going to want to see this. And so it's been really nice to be able to kind of roll over on all the LMSs I've hated over the years and kind of, you know, pick out all the stuff I didn't like about them and try and change that in this app. But then the other part that I get to do, which is kind of more of the design work, but like a little bit different. Um, we have one client who's like embedded right now. So the silent partner for our company owns his own automotive trade school. And so I'm taking their content, which is taught by an in-person, two in-person instructors, and I'm trying to get it to 
a place where it's acceptable to go through the content on mobile. And it's really difficult because it's automotive, right? It's like they're spending time under the hood and I'm trying to replicate that in, you know, I have a 3D animator who's making all these different animations. And so I'm working with, um, but it's kind of funny because Jeremy said, oh, the instructional di designer doesn't always create. And I'm like, oh yeah, he really got me because I don't like do a lot of my creating. There's a videographer and um, the 3D animator, but yeah, that's the three things are like building my brand, um, informing the product and trying to make content more mobile friendly. But I think the cool thing, if I can tack onto that, you could do that stuff, right? Sure. I could figure out 3D animation, I guess. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like that's, that's where I got stuck. Like with trying to do some of this video editing stuff, like, okay, I can't do it in iMovie anymore. Like I need big boy toys. I need big girl toys. Like iMovie ain't going to hack it anymore. And like, we've just got to learn whatever the next yeah. tool is so that our learner can get the best experience. True. No, it's, it's really interesting. I'm going to ask a weird question now. All right. So the first part of my, this, this study, uh, I, I queried, I went to LinkedIn and queried, uh, the job postings uh, from the last 30 days, which were something around like, um, actually, when I first did the last 30 days, it was like 2000. And I was like, all right, nice. Um, and then I was like, that's ridiculous. I'm not going to be able to pull the data out of that. So then I, I limited to seven days. And, um, and that was still like 600 openings in North America alone, right? And I'm like, okay, so I took the very first page. I took the very last page, I took the middle page, and I pulled all the descriptions out of there and all the, you know, all the stuff. And, and what you, I mean, I'll share with you if you want to look at it or not, that's no big deal. I just, I like transparency. So where I'm coming from is those things were all over the place, right? Like wild, right? But one of the things that I thought was really interesting, and, and it's uh, something that we talk about in school a lot, because I'm going to school for instructional design, uh, PhD in instructional design, right, is all the models, right, the models and the frameworks. And some of these job positions were like crazy specific with what model they use or what, you know, what format they use. And I'm you know, I, I speaking from my like bracketing my experience out of this a bit, like no one has ever expressed to me some desire to use a specific model ever, right? Um, so I'm interested, and Jeremy, I'm going to start with you. Um, how much effort are you expending on any specific model or portion of a model? Like, if you're going to use Addy, are you are you doing just the A? Or are you doing a lot of the D's? You know what I mean? So uh, I have a little bit of uh, PTSD about that one because I remember the, the first time out of my master's program, I interviewed with uh, an auto parts store that may or may not be advanced in some way that was looking for an instructional designer. And um, while I'm on the interview, they threw out some model and they were like, so do you have any familiarity with using this design model? I'm like, no, <laughs> like, 
and I didn't get the job. Like everything else went good. It was like this great conversation, like had, you know, a lot of good back and forth. And obviously that is the only possible reason why I didn't get that job was because I wasn't familiar with whatever, um, whatever model they had thrown out. I don't know. It was like a decade ago. I don't even remember now, but it still comes up in therapy. So like on any uh, particular thing, like, no, I don't use um, a real model. Like it's, it's iterative. It's, you know, Hey, we, we started with this thing. We moved to this. We found out there's a problem here. Let's go back, fix that. And it's, it's all of this looping around. Um, yeah. And, and like people are saying in the chat here, like Addy taught me, I don't use one. Like, yeah, the, there isn't one. And, you know, you just kind of make it up as you go along. And if you want to call it like a new model, let's, let's go ahead and get published. Like let's, let's put together a paper and make up some model that has the acronym like of all of our first, like the first letter of each of our names. It's happening. And, yeah. Like, No, that, that, that's, yeah, I, I, I okay, cool. Um, okay, so I, I, it, would I be correct in saying everyone feels the same way or are there, are you, are you using model, are you using any models at all, like successor approximation or core CID or, or any of that? Just, is anyone using any of that? Can I have a hot take here? You can. Um, and I, you know, you, I would prefer you not say Kara Norris said this, but if somebody reads this and sees my name associated with it and knows me, knows that Kara Norris said it. But I think that it is a huge disservice what a lot of these masters and PhD programs are teaching instructional design. Um, I was dumbfounded and I, you know, I'm a PhD candidate myself just the level of how shitty the courses looked, but yet they were talking about all these instructional design models and how great it was. But you know the funny thing? They were taught by academic professors who have never worked a day as an instructional designer. And I would, I think that that's pretty much malpractice. And so I think that is why a lot of this stuff is percolating out there. And I'm sorry, I mean, that's just the way that it is. When I'm looking to hire somebody, I have two open positions right now on my team. I don't care where they went to school. I don't care what they were formally educated in. I wanna see their portfolio. And then I wanna see how well they own their own professional development. Is it something if they have a snafu and articulate, are they gonna be calling me or are they gonna look on the forums to see if they can figure it out? Or if they've never done a video before, are they willing to sandbox it? To Jeremy's point earlier to Heidi, like a oh, 3D animation, but you could learn it, right? I, you know, that's kind of, I, I feel like what makes a successful ID because at the end of the day, I've never had a conversation with any of my business leadership asking me what model I use. They want to know, do you get this out the door? Are people safe? Are people happy here? And are we making more widgets? That's all they care about. Yeah, no, I, I agree. All right. Preach. Preach. <laughs> yeah, Kara. Well, and I think that, I think maybe we might be a little bit spoiled because um, at least my advisor at ODU worked in the industry for a long time before he went into teaching. And so he's okay with my very pragmatic approach. Like, here's my thing. Like I've never published and I don't really care to, 
research and like, so I probably really, if you really look at it, have no business getting my PhD, but <laughs> like, I just want, want it for myself personally. Right. And if I never get published, I don't care. Um, but I think you're absolutely right that we get taught all these different models. We get taught all these different, we have to spend a week talking about whether or not Addy is a model or a framework. And it's like, what is the point of this when, you, you know, the biggest, we're losing out on some of these huge, and this is what my research is on, we're losing out on some of these huge leadership competencies, right? And so like, all you guys are talking about everything that we need. And I'm like, ding, ding, ding. You're like, totally supporting my research over, over here that, you know, so much of instructional design is being a leader because you're a leader with your SMEs, you're a leader with your your team, you're a leader with within the organization. Like Kara said, you're getting that backstage pass, that sneak peek. You have to be mature enough to handle that information and to kind of speak for the entire organization, right? So, you know, you need project management skills. How much project management are you learning in your grad program? You know, you need, you know, um, you know, strategy, right? Problem solving, communication. These are all things that like are so important that you're getting lectured to about, you know, here's a model I made up and published and isn't it great? And you're kind of, you're kind of missing the point, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Clark. I have talked too much. <laughs> no, no, you're good. Um, no, I want to take an opportunity to agree with Heidi. Uh, yes, to everything you said. I, in my opinion, those everything you just listed is so much more important than having a firm grasp on all these different instructional design models. Um, over the years, I've had a chance, uh, plenty of opportunity to work with uh, IDs that have PhDs and masters. And one of the more recent ones that we had hired was a bowling coach. And he was one of the most effective instructional designers that I'd worked with because, I mean, as a, he was more than that. I, just, I like to play it down like that. But like he was all about self-promotion, uh, doing online uh, workshops. Uh, but he had learned how to, again, I know I'm saying tell the story, but he learned to find what the interesting part is and how to communicate that to his audience. Uh, where I worked with some IDs that did really focus on trying to apply the right models and they got so bogged down in the theory that they had trouble actually applying it so Heidi yes if you could start that school I would sign up too I was going to say like the thing that really solidified it for me because I was a little bit spoiled I was actually in the industry before I went back to backfill my credentials so I was at Amazon as an instructional designer for five years until I decided to fall in love with some guy in Ohio and move to Ohio which no one wants to move there but whatever I'm still here um, and then I was able to you know get a job at Ohio State and get my school paid for I cannot tell you all how excited I was. I was like, I am in an instructional design class. Like I was, I was ready to go. I was amped up. You know, I was so excited. And then when I logged in and saw what it was, I'm not kidding you. I had a breakdown and I was like, what in the hell am I doing? Like, are my standards too high? Am I, is there something I'm not, not getting here? And then, um, you know, I had an advisor and she's like, oh, you need to go to this conference. It was the AECT conference. She's like, this is the cream of the crop of our field or whatever. 
I've been to DevLearn, I've been to ATD ICE, right? So I've been to very high prestigious practitioner conferences. I go to AECT and I walked in on this presentation of this guy talking about good graphic principles, but yet it was tons of text on PowerPoint and all this stuff. And I was just like, I don't belong here. And that is how I felt in my academic role in instructional design, I felt like I didn't belong. And the minute that I left the university to come back to corporate, I don't, I should have left sooner, honestly, like looking back, because I totally felt, you want to talk about imposter syndrome, I did not feel like I belonged there, because I just couldn't deal with the crap that I saw. And it was very difficult for me to bite my tongue for seven years, and how I did it, I have no idea. But um, yeah, there's, it's, it's an issue. Uh just to follow up with what you said about the, the ACT thing. So like, um, I, I've, I've worked for eight years as a high school physics teacher, right? And I was at um, the National Science Teachers Association conference out in Nashville a couple of years ago. And uh, it was real cool, like the keynote speaker was Bill Nye, like everybody was just tingly inside. And uh, like the second or third morning, uh, one of my, colleagues that I that I work with um, was like hey let's wake up we need to go um, see this talk it's like at 8 30 you really want to go see this thing and we're all hungover whatever like it's Nashville like that's what you do and we walk in and I'm like okay this is biology I don't care and this guy's up on stage and he has this PowerPoint that is just like you were talking about but it's just wall of text like there are no graphics whatsoever right and like 10 minutes, 15 minutes go into it. And I'm like, what, what am I doing here? I'm going to kill myself. And the guy's talking about prions, right? The thing that causes like mad cow disease, Crutchfeld-Jacobs disease. And then it starts to dawn on me that this guy is Stanley Prusner and he's the Nobel laureate in medicine. He's the guy that discovered prions, right? So that's, that's where we come in as instructional designers is that you have these people that are absolutely brilliant that know their stuff inside and out and could fill a PowerPoint slide in 4K in six point font with what they know and still not have to look at the damn thing, but nobody's gonna wanna read it. Nobody's gonna wanna sit through the presentation. They were there for the cult of personality because holy shit, this is a Nobel laureate. Like I'm just in the same, like back, back in the before time when we could shake hands with people. Like, I shook hands with the Nobel laureate. I had my picture taken with him. But he could not explain, like, he could explain what he was doing. But all of his visuals were worthless. And if one of us had been able to, hey, let's, uh, let's take this back. Like, let's put six bullet points and a picture. And you're going to be on this slide for, like, 90 seconds. And then we're going to move on. And I, I wouldn't have contemplated my own death. You know, I agree. I think there needs to be a class for any instructional designer that's like how to pull SMEs out of the weeds. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Sorry, just taking notes. That was that was an incredible answer, guys. Honestly, I, it took like seven pages of notes there. Um, 
All right, so uh, as, as crazy as it sounds, this is the last question, but I have a feeling it will be, uh, we won't talk about it at all. Um, so the, the big question here, and I'm gonna start with, who haven't I started with? Clark, I haven't started with you yet. So Clark, first one's you, is, all right, so being that this is a study about what it means to be an instructional designer, right? Like your, we're, the framework we're using, and this is all academic, I know, is, is social constructivist, which means each of you, although you might agree on a lot of stuff, actually exists in your own unique reality, right? Like there's no one that, there's no one on like, you know, like no one on earth that really fully knows you, right? And that's just, that's real. You know you better than anyone on the planet, right? Um, and so with that being said, uh, we obviously still want to be, we want to be listened to, we want to be heard, we want to be uh, appreciated. And, and part of this study is exactly that, right? Um, I, I want to give voice to instructional designers and, and have them uh, heard, right? So Clark, is your voice as an instructional designer, as a human being, being heard uh, in your work, right? Or, or yeah, well, in your work as an instructional designer, is your voice being heard? I hope so. <laughs> um, I think so. Yeah, I mean, granted, I mean, where I work now, I've been there for, I think, since I was born, a very long time. Um, and I think I've done <laughs> a good job uh, building relationships. I was fortunate enough that when I did start there, as I described earlier, I, I could jump right into the weeds and figure things out, but I also started at a time when there wasn't much instructional design. There, were, there was a lot of, uh, just a void of things that needed to be created that, were, that I had the opportunity to participate in. And that still exists today. And I don't think people curse me out that much for some of the standards and uh, things that are there still. Um, but yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah, uh, simple answer, yes, with the funny eyebrow to go with it. <laughs> I'm writing funny eyebrow down. <laughs> Carol, what about you? Is your voice being heard, do you think? No, I don't think it is as much. And I think a lot of it is because my position at my org was created because they realized, hey, we need somebody to help with training, right? Um, they didn't have it for 40 years, the company's been around. And so I've inherited a lot of mess to clean up. And so I think it's going to take time. But Clark, you gave me a lot of hope just hearing what you said. It really did because, you know, I've actually had a pretty rotten week this week with work. And, you know, just hearing, it sounds like you kind of went through something similar. So I need to just hang tight, right? So no, I wouldn't say that it is in my work, but outside of my work, I feel like it is, if that makes any sense at all. Because of what Heidi said about building a brand, you know, having a network, I think that's so critical. And that's something I wish I would have done earlier in my career. But when I went from a team of 70 at Amazon to a team of two at Ohio State, I learned very quickly, I didn't know half the stuff that I thought I did. And I was so well supported. And my previous org, I needed to grow my network. And so now I like to say that when you work with me, you don't get me you just get you get my network as well. And I think that's really powerful, because I have taken the time to build relationships with other learning professionals, because 
It's so hard to be so good at everything. I don't think everybody is. I think that we know what we're good at, but then we can lean on other people who might be good with performance support or be good with assessment, right? And so I've strategically built my network to have some people that, hey, you know, I've got this really weird issue. Can I bounce this idea off of you? And I think that's really powerful. Um, so I would say mayhaps for your answer, I guess, right? So uh, <laughs> at, at work, no, not really. But outside of work, I do feel professionally fulfilled, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. Eamon, can I hijack this for a second? You and can. ask Clark why? Since Kara answered why, Clark, why? Sorry, why what? Why, why do you feel like you're listened to? Like, why, why do you feel that your voice actually matters in your organization? Kara was, Kara was explaining, you know, like, you know, some of the dysfunction and, you know, good function at, at the previous job. But, like, why, why, why do you feel like you are listened to? I know this is going to be an interview. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> well, I'm fading out. Um, yeah, well, okay. I'll, I'll, a few different reasons. Uh, I think when I started at the company, or at least soon after, they, they had previously worked with instructional designers, but I think enough people high up had developed a bad reputation for IDs where they thought they were people that were hired to do spell check and grammar and manage, manage Word documents. Um, and I, I, I think I came in and showed them that ID is a lot more than that, right? It's, it's, I mean, we, we work with a lot of incredibly talented, um, people in the aviation industry and just the way you described Jeremy about the, the, the laureate coming in and having I mean, all this knowledge, they didn't need to look at the, the document that was his PowerPoint or presentation behind him. We have a lot of the same sort of people within the, the company. And thankfully I was put in a position where I had the opportunity to demonstrate and to show exactly what you described. So we can take those ideas from those really talented and, and bright people and translate it and, and yeah, translate it uh, into a, an effective learning program, right? Not to sound cheesy, but you know, to be able to take their stuff, uh, reduce the on-screen text, show meaningful visuals, uh, show them how to have meaningful uh, engagements and facilitations with the the uh, the clients there or the the learners, and to have a to improve the learning experience for you know the people that are coming to take the training. Uh, but I, I think beyond that, though, I don't know. Maybe just I, I often look at. Uh, my work, regardless of what it is, through the ID lens. So even when, you know, it, where we work, you have to have a business case for, to get the funding to work on any project that we want to work on. Uh, and even, I know I've mentioned storytelling a few times, but even working on the business case through that lens, you know, who is my audience? What do they expect to see? Um, yeah, just, I guess just trying to apply ID strategies at, at every aspect of what I'm doing. And of course, just doing my best to, to show that those strategies and this role add value. I hope that helps. <laughs> oh, that was a good share, Clark. Thanks, man. Well, well Jeremy, I'll, I'll put it back on you. Um, 
you know, like, so yeah, is your voice being heard in, in your, in your work or elsewhere? Uh, it depends on which thing I'm talking about. Right. So, um, with, 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 with Clark and Kara, like I, I get a little bit of both right where right now I'm, I'm working in K-12. Um, like people listen to me because I've had now an experience, like the, the experience and the, the chance to prove to them that what I have to say works. And when it doesn't work, I'm going to go back and fix it. Right. So I've had a lot of time to establish that. Um, and they, they trust me and they trust the, the knowledge that I'm bringing, the training, the background, all, all of that stuff, all of my experiences. So yeah, I, I, I feel like they do listen to me. Um, but sometimes because I, I have good experiences in very specific areas, they're willing to take a leap when I take a leap and try to suggest something else, you know, like the, like Clark was saying, you know, you, you have to justify something, you know, with the business perspective, I, I have to, you know, justify any like federal dollars that we spend on anything, you know, and then yes. Okay. It's, it's a little bit free flowing, but uh, especially being in a title one school, we, we have a lot of money coming in from that, but still like, I feel like this personal responsibility to like, yeah, okay, here, we got a hundred thousand dollars to do this, which is big in our, in our scheme, but um, I, I still feel like I, I have to be able to justify it and that I can usually gets them to come back and ask again and again and again, what do you think? What do you think? And being asked again and again makes me feel valuable. It, it's, it's rewarding. I feel, I feel needed. No, it's good. Heidi, how about you? Are you being heard? This is a really good self-reflection question. Like, I feel like I needed this question this year <laughs> in 2020 because before I got laid off, the answer was hell no. Um, and it was, my boss and I started at the same time and the L&D team had been like six people and they were down to three and they just weren't filling seats. And so like, it was kind of a red flag to me, but my boss seemed so excited. I was like, okay, well maybe, you know, the two of us can make an impact on the organization. They had this woman working 11 hours a day regularly and they were just, you know, they, they still are, they didn't get rid of her. Um, you know, they're just pushing her and pushing her and pushing her and just watching everything that we did and all that we sacrificed and, and, you know, relationships we tried to rebuild. Um, they ended up getting rid of the third team member um, because she was just this very old school. This is how we've always done things. And she had rubbed a lot of people in the organization the wrong way and was just not really providing a good learning or training experience for any of the people she worked with. Um, so we spent a lot of time trying to repair relationships and a lot of time trying to, you know, pitch new ideas. And um, part of our team was also some field trainers. And just to give you an idea of how much the company valued learning and development of 40 people in HR, 
um, when the layoffs happened, um, out of five of those 40 people who were laid off, three were from the LMB team. So out of all of HR, they got rid of 70% or something like that of the LMB team. Um, so they were left with, which they were left with a facilitator and a coordinator and the manager. That's what they were left with. And, you know, they, they got rid, I was the only instructional designer when they laid me off and, and, um, what do they call it? They dissolved my position or whatever they said. So it was like, you are nothing, right? Like, and so that was, that was where I was at in April. Then of course I failed my comps the first time I took them, the written comps. And so then it was just like, oh my God, am I even in the right field? Right. So starting for this tech startup and, you know, now it is so different because like, yes, my voice is being heard because, you know, my boss picked me because of what I do and what I'm studying and the experiences that I've had. So he's looking to me now, I'm going into these meetings with the two co-founders of this mobile app and like, other CEOs from other companies that they're trying to pitch this app to. And they're talking about how great I am at my job. I'm like, these guys don't even know me. <laughs> like, don't, don't say that. Don't set the expectation, but I still have this, you know, and, and with the podcast, like I have people now who randomly reach out to me on LinkedIn and are like, Hey, can you give me some career advice? I'm like, who the hell am I? Like, I, I can't give you advice you know, ask somebody who knows what they're doing, you know, and as my husband would say, um, you better figure out what you're doing because if you have a podcast, you should probably. <laughs> so, you know, I, but I, I absolutely feel now like my voice is being heard. Like I said, I'm informing a product and, you know, I was hired because of, you know, I went from being the only instructional designer in a bad way to the only instructional designer in a very rewarding way. Great. Well, friends, we got there. Thank you, uh, uh, like a million, uh, a million thanks for participating thus far uh, in this way. So here's what's going to happen from here. I'm going to, when we get done with this, it'll take Zoom a, a little bit to transcribe all of our words. Uh, but when I get that transcription, I will, um, I think I can share that. So I'll share that with you guys. So if you guys want to look at it, if you don't, no big deal. It's one of these things. I'm not, there's no test here, right? Uh, but I'll also give you the two other documents that I've made um, that if you want to peruse them, you can. There's no requirement whatsoever. Uh, so when that's done, and then um, I don't think I need it. I don't, I don't know. It'll be, I have to look at when the assignments are all due and stuff, but um, I, I want to try to position, there will be a follow-up interview that I, I don't know if I can, it'll probably just be a half an hour uh, because I, you know, I, asking an hour of someone's time is a lot, I think. So uh, I'll probably just schedule it for half an hour and I'll work with each of you on that, but it'll be a one-on-one -on -one thing uh, after you've had some time to reflect on what we talked about today. I'll probably have some different questions, but in truth, I, I'll probably ask variants of the same questions because those are somewhat tailored around my research questions. Um, and then we'll kind of go from there. But um, I like really, really appreciate you guys uh, 
you know, being so forthcoming with your thoughts and your emotion and your, and your, your ideas. Uh, it's incredible to, to hear you guys speak. It's like such a perfect, like, it's one of those things you're like, oh my God, it feels amazing to like have a tribe or whatever, you know, like typical cliche thing I could say. Uh, but it, it is, it's, it's really impressive. And there's some things that like I, I put in the crib notes over here that I'm like, damn, like you're, you're saying this and then there's this thing. And it's like, so it's really interesting. So I'm going to, when I connect all those up, I'll, I'll share them with you as well. But um, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. And have a wonderful evening. Hey, I'm just curious, uh, who all is actually a PhD student at ODU? Okay. Sorry. So the Ohio State University. <laughs> Penn, State, yes. Penn State all the way. You know, they tried to trademark the word the because they're that stupid and it got rejected. So now <laughs> I say that I am a PhD candidate at the trademark rejected Ohio State University. I'm sure they love that. But I, I just think I was so stupid. They deserve it. They deserve it. And Clark, you're in Canada, you said? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Don't you know? <laughs> no do to boot it nice. where in canada are you at clark in toronto cool i have a adopted canadian mother that lives in hamilton so okay that's not too far yeah. so how are we all connected like i know amen from class same yep okay yeah, i don't so, know how i got pulled in here so i i'll i'll lay the the framework right um so so um uh, I, I totally scope on Kara's LinkedIn like nobody's business. So I, I have, uh, I've got a LinkedIn crush on Kara. Uh, and then she was on Heidi's podcast and I was like, dude, this is ridiculous, right? Um, so that's how that worked out. And then uh, Heidi, uh, Heidi and me have been um, arch enemies. Um, True. True. Uh, I think at what, IDT 849, where we had to do battle in uh, Chopped ID edition. So... Um, <laughs> I just, I can't stand Heidi. Um, so I wanted to make sure that I included her here so I could just prove how better I am. At I believe the term is called frenemies. <laughs> well, uh, I, I'm taking 849 right now. I just wanted to let you know that I turned in my 1500 word uh, model comparison and I compared R2D2 to Dr. Moore's Kappa process so that I could like just totally, we're still being recorded. But yeah, like I totally <laughs> that one. Wow. He's never gonna read it, but yeah, that's uh that's what I did with my model comparison. So excellent. yeah, so and then Jeremy, Jeremy and I are in a, a couple classes together. Uh we were we're working on a project together that's a little side side piece action, which is fun. And then uh Clark, Clark and I work together at, at Flight Safety. So um that's oh, how cool. we're connected there. Uh but Clark, so I, I me and Clark used to kind of tangentially work together like we were kind of parallel if you will and now we work on the same team and he's like my favorite person in the world um so yeah i feel like if i'm gonna talk to people for an hour i do want to talk to like people i either really want to uh meet and talk to and interface with or people that i already know i love so that's the way this is going so welcome okay. to the fold kara <laughs> well i mean you you said you really liked clark but the, i think the recording will show that you did say that i am your side piece that we're working at <laughs> I think that's what you said, like Jeremy and I, like he's the side piece, something, something in there. So mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know, Clark, you got me. <laughs> did, by the way, I, I have not paused the recording. This is getting all in. <laughs> Good. Yeah, analyze this. This is all <laughs> <You know>? research. <laughs>
So yeah, seriously, a million thanks. Thank you so much. I hope you guys have a wonderful evening. Uh, if you hated this, just let me know and I'll be like, okay, my badge. <laughs> no, this was great. Yeah, yeah this is really It was nice. a nice yeah. little like bitch session that I needed. Yeah, so I enjoyed it. <laughs> cool. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you. And have a good evening. Oh, thanks evening. everybody. Thanks, bye. bye. Hey, so thanks for sticking around to the end there. I know I got a little uh, ridiculous at the end, but it seemed like fun and, and maybe, uh, you know, at least for the participants that were on it, it it's funny to think about that stuff. But uh, please, uh, next week, please tune in again. Uh, what I'm going to be doing is uh, releasing the next couple uh, focus. Uh, they're not focus groups at this point. They're one-on-ones with uh, some of the other individuals. So they're a little bit more cut up. I'm going to do two at a time probably. Um, and so next week you'll, you'll get a little bit of that one-on-one -on -one with uh, Clark or, or Heidi or Kara or Jeremy. But I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks.